Welcome to the Sports Entrepreneurs Podcast. I'm your host, Marcus Lure, and I'm delighted to uh, swing by London today with another old industry buddy on the other line, uh, calling in from London, Mr. John Glazier. Welcome to the podcast, John. Thanks, Marcus. Delighted to be here. Yeah, it's morning there for you. I hope you got your coffee there, and it's in the afternoon here in Bangkok. And uh, <laughs> and so I'm sitting here with the juice. But uh, we're going to be really having fun here going deep into your illustrious career. Um, for And for the folks who might not know you or, right, or not recognize your name right away, let me sort of give them just a quick intro. Um, you're currently the executive vice chairman um, and chief development officer, business development officer for DAZN. Uh, which is D-A-Z-N. Uh, not everyone knows how to pronounce that properly. It took me a while too. Uh, <laughs> but uh, you're also, of course, very well known for one of the founders of Perform, and that's obviously the company where the zone is coming came out of. Um, and we're going to have a good look at all those things. Uh, but there is an, a very interesting career before we ever got to that point, uh, and we will dive deep into it uh, from the early days of EMI music, a uh, bit of Sportal, uh, I'm sure I pronounce it properly, it was Mr. Rob Hershoff there and others. So uh, we're going to dig into that, and then, of course, going to have a really good look at the zone, you know, the, I guess, Netflix, the true Netflix of sports out there. And uh, and that will be fun too. So, but let's uh, let's get back a bit into the you know your early days here. Uh, I remember last time when we spoke, you had a really good story there of how you got started, uh, link you know playing football or something. You know, why don't we start right there? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, my background is I'm from the north of England, a a Premier League town of Burnley. I uh, and kind of went to. Kind of from university, I was up at Newcastle, and when I I did a law conversion course and then my law finals, and mm. and it was kind of coming. It was still there was a recession going on at the time, and came down to see my brother and my sister who both lived in London, and we're kind of very close family, and went out for a night out with my with them and their friends and was chatting away and someone said oh can you play football tomorrow uh, and I said yeah okay uh, turned up wet and cold um, winter's morning um, and managed to have a decent game and in the change rooms afterwards one of the guys said uh, oh can you you know can you play for the rest of the season I said actually I've just finished my law finals and you know just looking waiting to get my articles and he said well look if you promise to play for us um till the end of the season he'll give me a job and right. he wrote down this address on a piece of paper turned up nine o'clock on monday morning and it was emi records and right. and uh, turn, just went in there and my first job was looking after Pink Floyd had an album called Pulse coming out, and okay. and uh, I was looking after the trade marketing and creation and print and production for uh, for a load of point of sale for that album. And uh, anyway, very lucky. Couple of couple of days in, I. Uh, I was went into one of the guy's uh, offices who he had the cricket on and I started chatting to him about the cricket because 
cricket yeah, being was, one that of, was your so. first love really right i think you were yeah you were, exactly you were. so i you know i played to a decent standard and you know at one stage thought about becoming a professional but i i didn't really want it hard enough you know mm. i enjoyed playing but you know it's very different when you get start getting paid for doing something and Anyway, I chatted to him and got on well. He asked me to play for his cricket team at the weekend, and and within three, four days of being, you know, doing that temporary work, a full time job came up, uh, and so I had the choice of do I stay in law or do I go and become a trade marketing manager at EMI Records? And I thought it, that that was going to be more fun than being a lawyer up in the north of England. So uh, that's what I did. Yeah, well, you know, music is a good place to start. Uh, so, what were some of the artists you were working with at that time? Just, just, uh, you remember a couple of them, or? Yeah, I, lots of them. Radiohead, Blur, um, Garth Brooks. Yeah. I met Tina Turner. Okay. I think the, you know, cool. the, yeah, it was, it was, it was quite funny going back and out saying, you know, my friends up in Lancashire saying, you know, oh come on, you must have met someone famous and. And at the, at the end of the night, I said, "Okay, you know, yeah, I met Tina Turner last week." And they all start, they all started ribbing me about it, going, "Oh, look, he's showing off." Met Tina Turner, but <laughs> you know, it was it was um, a strange thing for for a for a bloke from Burnley, as I say. Yeah, oh, cool. So, how did that end up? Uh, you know, getting from the the music world and into B Sky B, which I believe was sort of or Sky, I guess was it was it called at that time. Um, you know, how do you jump into from the music world into the uh, what's called TV world? Yeah, it, it was. Look, I think you know, in a similar way, in the sports world, you live in cycles. You know, the Premier League cycle every three years, and mm. it was a similar thing in the record business because you know you would say, you know, I, I think I was on my third Blur album that I'd worked on, and and. Similarly with Radiohead, and and it was it was com you know it was it was the same thing. You know, I think I could have, I, you know I could almost write the the plan that we would have you know for a record release now because right. you know, it, so I just wanted to challenge myself and I and I looked to I really wanted to get into an industry I felt was growing a business that was growing and you know I could see a real future in and I. I had a number of options at the time, I remember, and I I could have gone into the games industry, but ultimately I wasn't a gamer. I wasn't, you know, it was not an interest for me. Sport sport was a huge passion for me. Right. And and I and an opportunity to get, came up at Sky to uh, look at the sales and marketing of all of the the channels to um, all the other platforms. Mm. And I thought that sounded really interesting, and uh, I was lucky enough to get the job. You know, and I always say, you know, never follow the money. I could have taken more money, a nicer car, and you know, what seemed better benefits. But I really went went with my heart. You know, where where was my passion? Where was where did I want to? Where did I see a real future? And and what was the industry I wanted to get into? So. Yeah. So you know, going into there, and I was I was then kind of lucky. It was when there was a, a lot of tests on pay per view were going on, and we did we did a, 
a lot of tests with, uh, well, we had the Spice Girls, we had Boyzone, we had, and there was also all the EFL clubs. Mm. There was uh, a time for doing pay-per-view and when Man City and Sunderland were, you know, what is division, you know, in the division two at the time. Yeah. And, but with big fan bases and, and we did very well with the cable companies who generally didn't promote Sky very well because they felt they were in competition. Right. But uh, we did very well on the pay-per-views. And I think off the back of that, I kind of got noticed, you know, because people had seen some of the, some of the marketing I'd, I'd managed to do with those cable operators. And, and an opportunity came up at, uh, within Sky in the marketing to run you know to run the sky sports marketing there hadn't actually ever been a dedicated brand manager for sky sports and and that opportunity came up and i was very lucky that the guy called scott manier who's a marketing director said look i've got i've got thousands of cvs for people who want this job but you know you're lucky you're in situ i'm going to give you a go and and that was it really and that's that's how i got into sport yeah, cool. Well, I mean, again, just for to give people a sense here, we're talking currently sort of late 90s here, right? I think 98, 99, uh, when you were in yeah. there. So uh, that's really when, you know, B-Sky B just started, I guess, as well, right? Or, or somewhere around that time, right? The, the, the pay TV world was kicking off, right? It was the launch of Sky Digital. Right. So that was, that was the real, the real, um, the real focus. And Sky was very much focused on promoting Sky Digital and growing the platform, and and um, and that there was a real push, you know. It was a, and obviously sport being you know a, a central focus of that, and obviously you know there was like legends like you know Vic Wakelin were there, and and I was very lucky because you know I learned from a lot of those people, Vic Wakelin, Chris Haynes, and you know they. they I always talk of Sky being my my true university. It was my, kind of my university of sport and my university in business. Mm, and interesting. I learned I learned a lot there, and and it was you know it was an incredible company in terms of just you know making things happen. And you know it was also the, you know the start of the dot com time as well. Yeah, we're going to get that in a minute here. Yeah, and the part which is really interesting, I think, is that you obviously now, with what you're doing with the zone, I mean, you guys are literally in the somewhat trying to replace the B Sky Bs of the world. So, uh, but well, we'll get to that later. So, uh, but it's an interesting <laughs> one. And that, yeah, that's where you get, you know, started, uh, you know, learned, started, the, you know, the basics here. Now, the dot com started, and everyone was looking at in, in the sports industry, including us here in Asia. You know how to get in there, right? and we created you know some sort of a similar portal. Um, and the the one you were involved with was called Sportal, right? Or how do you pronounce it properly? Sport, sportal. sportal, Sportal, Sportal. That's right. Sportal yeah. was uh, was uh, the platform. You know, Rob Hersoff, I think, was uh, was sort of the name which which you know, most people might still recognize with it. Um, now, you, how did you get involved in it? Um, and uh, you know, how many? How how long did you? How much time did you spend there? Because it was a sort of, you know, this sort of thing which just showed up out of nowhere and, and made all the noise in the world. And then, of, of course, it fizzled out eventually. But but tell us a bit about it. You're you're part of it. Yeah, I I heard of Sportal through uh, some of the people we worked with at Sky who were kind of talking about 
you know, some of the innovative companies, a couple of the agencies we work with were also working with Sporthal. And I, 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 and I'm sure Mr. Andrew Croker will kind of, uh, but he actually interviewed me. So Andrew at the time was uh, was also at Sportal and and he really, you know, it, it was an incredible group of people, you know, at the same time in in that organisation. But Andrew interviewed me and um, it was the shortest interview I think I've ever had. Uh, <laughs> I'd, I'd prepared for it, you know, as you do for for those interviews. I, you know, spent days and you know really researching about it. Anyway, I turned up at the offices down uh, in Battersea and Andrew asked me a question. I think I answered that question for you know, a couple of minutes. Anyway, he looked at me and goes, look, I've spoken to Vic Wakelin, Vic rates you, so that's good enough for me. So you've got the job. And I looked at him and was like, you know, I think I was slightly disappointed because I think I wanted a longer interview to, to you know, because off. of all the effort the effort <laughs> had put in. Exactly. But um, yeah, but that that was that was how I got into Sportal. Okay. And what was your role? What was sort of exactly what were you doing? So I I was marketing director there. So I I was running all the marketing. We were. Uh, Sportal at the time had worked, you know, initially had focused on working with a lot of major football clubs across mm-hmm. Europe. And this, we, off the back of uh, Sportal was running the Euro 2000 website and right. they, and at the same time, we were also launching all of the local regional Sportal uh, portals, right. sports portal. And which was the you know that we were launching it off the back of the euros so so that was that was the, the big focus of it and it was a big pan euro marketing campaign and yeah look, there was an incredible team of people there as i say you know that's where i met simon simon denyer uh, stefano dana as well was there there was you know steve nuttall there was there's a you know matt house there was a great group of people and it was at the time we we'd had various interest from in terms of the acquisition i think you know one of the at the time we had one major group was looking at as you know our websites our portals i think had about four or five pages that was all they had on the webs on those websites but it was it was a yeah, it was a wild ride. We were going through various investment conversations. And then when obviously the dot com crash came, it was all about survival. You know, how could we survive? And at that time, I actually got approached. It was also when um, all the mobile companies were looking at 3G mm-hmm. and we got a, I got approached for a job by Hutchison Wampoa to come and run the sports division there. And I didn't take the job immediately, but what happened was we did a period of consultancy about it. So I kind of worked three months on a big consultancy document. And and off the back of that, I I kind of realized, obviously, Sportal, was, you know, it was going to be very tough for it to survive financially and because it was very hard to raise any money mm-hmm. and but you know i kind of went with the blessing of the team neil mcdonald etc to go and run uh sports at hutchison wampoa 
Yeah. yeah, it's interesting. And you mentioned 3G right now. We're in the 5G world. So 3G, obviously, that, you know, it, it was you know, some some younger audience, they might not even know what it is anymore, <laughs> right? Um, you know, but, but talk. let's talk uh, 3G um, and, and telco at that time, right, in the UK, you know, uh, where you were involved in. What was it? Um, and because you were head of sports, right? So, again, it was a very sports-specific role to, I guess, create content, drive content through the platform, which maybe at that time was still somewhat SMS and, and other sort of, let's call it more basic forms. Uh, what was it exactly what you were doing there? Well, it was it was all predicated that the third generation uh, mobile systems could deliver video, ultimately okay. deliver video over right, those so platforms. Video was the focus already, okay. Absolutely, and it was about you know video calling and video um, video clips and etc. Right. And so this was when you know the, the the consultancy we did was what kind of service should you create in a three G world? Okay. And at the time, you know we we kind of advised Hutchison not to you know whatever you do, don't go out to the market and you know. And extol, you know, the, the a the money that you'd spent because I think, you know, Hutchison had spent I think four point four point six billion I think it was like you know from memory I think all the UK mobile operators had spent you know billions you know, over twenty billion on buying these licenses mm. and. But, you know, at the same time, what had happened, a lot of, you know, some of the people in those organisations at the time had gone out to various rights holders and um, and had kind of, you know, I always remember the conversation, I think it was um, with Richard Scudamore, where it was kind of, you know, the, the conversation was, well, we've just spent $4.6 on securing a licence and the most important content, we believe, is the Premier League. And um, yeah, you know, delivering Premier League goals in real time during the match was, you know, was the whole proposition. Right. And and the, you know, what had happened was the a um, they'd, they'd gone out and actually acquired the clip rights for the Premier League and bought those bought those, and then you know, similar deals were done all over Europe, you right. know, in Italy, etc. And it was very much, you know, my kind of role was, okay, come in and define what what should we create? How do we create, you know, editorial video and and data all together in terms of a mobile experience? Turn it into a business model. Yeah, no, that's uh, exciting times. Now, did it work? I mean, you were there for about three, four years. Um, you know, if you would look at it from how it started and then, you know, by the time you maybe left, um, was that business model working? Was it really a good revenue driver for the telcos already? I think the, I think one of the challenges was always that there was everyone expected an immediate, immediate response from from the marketplace. That you know, yes, of course, there's huge interest from football fans. But I, you know, there were there were some funny moments. I remember the first time I ever saw a video clip on a mobile phone of a football match and you couldn't see the ball. You couldn't <laughs> right. see the ball. It was a blur. So, you know, the development in terms of encoding and was was incredible. You know, in a very short time, you got you could get it and, you know, within a year of from not being able to see the ball, 
you could see the ball very clearly. Right, right. But it was, but it, you know, there were there was there was challenges in terms of educating the consumer about what why did this matter to them, what was the benefits for them, and I think you, it, it that takes time. It takes time in terms of that understanding, and. And, and I think, you know, but with the investment that had gone in, it, you know, that's, that was always one of the challenges. And obviously, you know, we, again, you work in the cycles of, you know, the Premier League. So, you know, Hutchison bought them, but then didn't use the rights they had for a year and a half. So wow. they only because, had a year and a half. Because they weren't ready, basically, is it? Correct. Wow. Correct. <laughs> and so, so, you know, I think hindsight's a great thing, but... Um, but that was, you know, I think all, all of the optimism that of what 3G could deliver, it was going to take time. And I think that's across every content genre, yeah. but especially in sport. So, so no, you know, in terms of obviously, you know, Hutchison lost a lot of money in the first round, but then, then over time, it, you know, it did become an important part of the whole proposition for for three at that time. Hmm. Interesting. So now, so then after that, uh, obviously interesting experience there in the in the telco world. You you spend about a year or so with with Sony also in in mobile in the mobile space. Uh, but I, I want to sort of maybe skip that a little bit and, and go a bit more in straight into Inform Group, um, which you obviously yeah. you were a director and therefore a partner. Um, and, and again, you had an illustrious group of uh, friends around you. Uh, you know, where did the idea come from and, uh, you know, and, and how did you all got started? Because I remember you mentioned, the, you know, the original business model didn't really work, and, and, but you obviously <laughs> found something else. So talk, talk us through that a little bit, this, the beginning yeah. of Inform. Yeah, what, what happened was, as you say, I, I, an opportunity came to run all the digital outside America at Sony Pictures. It, it sounded a great job. My wife uh, worked at, in the film industry as well. So, I, you know, it was a, it, it seemed, you know, the, the, final, the final sector for me to really get involved in. Right. But, but, I, but I realized pretty quickly it wasn't, it wasn't my passion area. And, and at the time, uh, Simon, who obviously had been at Sportal as well, he'd gone to TWI and was there. And then he'd, he'd left there. And anyway, we, we caught up for lunch one day and we were chatting away and he was ex uh, explaining what he was thinking of doing. I, I was explaining that, you know, I had, I had some ideas as well. You know, I think at the time, you know, the, there'd been this real peak in value of mobile rights and, you know, digital rights and broadband rights. And we, but then the, you know, the market had crashed in mm. for those rights, and we we kind of sat there and said, you know, we think that there is value, but it's gonna, but that you have to think of it in a different way. And so we spent a number of months building up a business plan mm. and left our respective businesses. You know, I, I still say the best negotiation I ever did was negotiation. I, I did in terms of leaving Sony and we set up the business with with Stefano and another guy Mike Ingram uh, the four of us and with this whole idea of you know can we create can we create a new business you know 
I think when you create any business, you you know, first and foremost, you hope to be around in a year's time. You know, that was that was you know, can you drive the cash flow and and uh, and that was you know that was the whole focus really for us and um, in looking at and yeah, to your point, you know, we built a business plan with uh, Simon had been um, providing some matches for he'd acquired a few matches that were providing to online bookmakers we'd had various conversation with Mobi TV which was a mobile TV company in the US and there was there was a whole variety of sectors that we felt we could get involved in mm. and built the business plan and pretty quickly you know what you what you understand is some areas you think we're going to fly don't but then but then some up some areas you know like um providing you know um live streams into online bookmakers was a was something that really caught on was really growing and and especially with the development of the flash player you know look a lot of this you get you can get lucky and we you know in many ways we had three things that kind of came together. There was, you know, flash video player technology, mm-hmm. which meant low latency delivery right. into the online bookmakers. The online bookmakers growing, you know, moving from um, from the shops into yeah, the online. To online, correct. You know, it was a huge growth area, and you had players like Betfair, you know, Bet365. Yeah. Who were all, you know, very focused on, you know, online, you know, online being their core business. So, so yeah, we, you know, it was, it was a, um, it, you know, we we got we got lucky, but you know, equally, you know, as Gary Player, you know, said, you know, the more I practice, the luckier I get. Look, Absolutely. we 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 threw, you know, we we threw everything we we're making back into the business to keep growing it, acquiring more content. And yeah, we grew off the back of that. Yeah. Oh, that was a great story. And, and I mean, the bookmakers were an interesting part. We, we had a, about a four or five year period with Labrooks. Uh, we were their agency of record here in Asia, um, basically to manage the affiliate programs. So, so we went to every website we could find in Asia and through some money at them and, and a few other things uh, when it was still possible, you know, to take money out of the markets here. Most of them now going dark. Um, but yeah, it was, so we saw the, the money coming out of each market, right? So we would see every, every month, every week or whatever, they gave us a report because we would have to calculate what we have to pay the ref share we would pay with our, you know, with the, with the affiliate partner. So it was, it's amazing. It's incredible business and obviously a lot of money in it. So you guys obviously, you know, kind of stumbled into that space, uh, realizing that these guys need it. Now, was it really, again, just describe it a little more um, in terms of you were, you guys were just repurposing, you know, existing streams and then fitting it into a, you know, let's call it already OTT, where it probably didn't quite exist really at that time, but, uh, you know, into a streaming feed. Um, well, what is it exactly you were doing? Maybe just, just go a little deeper. Sure. Look at the top, you know, you often forget at the time there was a l- matches let's you know take football matches some of the first matches we did were for the the ninth uh, the 2006 world cup you know the playoff matches i remember i think it was australia played uruguay from memory yeah and you know in terms of the playoff matches 
And the, but those matches would be distributed, obviously, in Australia and shown in Uruguay, yep. but they weren't shown anywhere else around the world. Mm. And so, you know, to what we had to do was get access to the match. Then we would create our own stream. You know, we would do our own. Uh, if there was an English the uplink or something, yeah, we would uplink it. You know, sorry, downlink it, and then, and then, um, yeah, we would do our own commentary. And this, so we actually, this is where we work with Premium TV. Okay, we work with Ollie and Andy Meesham and the team there at the time. You know, to they were our production company, so they would they would do all of that for us, provide the commentary, and then we would provide the stream. To, to the bookmakers and they are in, and integrate it into their into their uh, website. So right. that was that that's what we were doing. And and then over time, as you know, the evolution was really you know, as we started looking at things like tennis. You know, we worked with uh, JP and the team at IEC, and we would start accessing some of their tennis from around Europe and providing that. And we've and we evolved it into doing more and more football and more and more sports. Right. So you know, that's that was how it evolved. And look, I, I think at the time, you know, sportsman sportsman had had been working with B Win in an exclusive mm-hmm. in an exclusive way. And our, you know, I think we're big believers in evolution, not revolution. And the evolution was well, if. Why? Why only do it to one line on one right. online bookmaker? Right. We felt that we could do, we could provide it to a number of bookmakers in every market, and and then obviously slowly, you know, the evolution here was 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 doing it in more and more markets. Yeah, yeah, sportsman, exactly. I remember those days when what they were doing, uh, which was also, of course, very successful. Um, so, I mean, again, you know, here what I see on your on your LinkedIn profile, right? It talks about being the number one uh, internet and mobile sports, right? Catalog and number one uh, provider of video, you know, over five thousand clips. I mean, you guys in in a couple of years really grew, obviously, you know, very significantly, and and then obviously flipped the whole company or, or put the pieces together, right? I think that's when the merger then of Inform and Premium TV happened and you brought some more investors in. Um, how did that come about? Was it just the, you know, the realization that, hey, we're put, if we put it all together, we're going to be, you know, even more powerful and can really grow faster than being there on our own? Or how did that sort of conversation start and, and, and get to the... I think it was, it was, you know, as I say, Premium TV were our production partner, uh, and we we were doing we almost were their commercial arm for a time. You know, helping Ollie and you know and the team grow their revenues. Hmm. But at the you know and at the same time, we were you know we were creating various products, and I think we you know at the time we were kind of going well. Does Inform have to get into production? You know, we were spending more and more money as we were doing more and more events. Right. And so, you know, do we go and, you know, build out our own production facility? And equally, I think, you know, for Premium TV and Ollie at the time was, do the, you know, they're going to have to grow their commercial arm and take more things back from from the Inform side. So, mm-hmm. and, and at the same time, what happened was, Access Industries, Len Blavatnik had been looking again into sport, and there was the whole Sport Five sale at the time okay. uh, going on, which Andrew Croker was obviously in that organisation at the time, and 
Uh, and, you know, we all knew Andrew very well. You know, as I say, you know, Andrew hired me um, six years, seven years previously. Yes. So, um, but, you know, very much he was kind of, Andrew came w with the concept. Of, he'd been approached, he was had been speaking with Access and, um, and that's where it all came together, really. It was, you know, I think, you know, Andrew... Ollie, Simon, you know, there was a conversation and um, and it kind of all made sense to bring mm. it together. And, and that's that's where Perform came came about. That's right. Yeah, no, that's interesting. And, and again, I mean, without going into details of, you know, shareholding, et cetera, but, uh, you know, because you were obviously a founder there in, in Form, which means you would have shares there and then you turn mm -hmm. it into Perform and you bring investors in. I mean, it, it, there's also sometimes egos get a bit in the way, right? Or, or people feel they should own more than the other and all this stuff. I mean, how did you guys kind of work that through? Was it just a fairly sort of mutual agreed version or yeah, was there a bit I, of uh, horse trading? Uh, <laughs> no, I, it actually was pretty amicable, I think, in, in many ways of how it all came together because, look, we, we, were all, we, we were all of the same mentality that we felt, you know, there was a lot of opportunities to grow. You know, we were still a very UK-based business. So, right. you know, it's, so one of, you know, one of the, the first questions we had was, well, you know, how do we grow internationally? So, you know, over lunch one day, you know, I remember, you know, Ollie, Simon and myself, we were kind of around the table and said, well, you know, someone's got to go west, someone's got to go east. And, you know, that was one of the reasons why in 2008, I went to Asia. My wife had lived out there, and uh, and I said, "Well, you know, it's the right time. I've got a young child. I'll, you know, I'll go. To, I'll go and try Asia out." So, went over to, I went over to Singapore, and luckily, you know, we'd been Seamus O'Brien, you know, World Sport Group, obviously based there, and you know, we'd chatted to him. We were going to start doing some work with him, and there were, you know, and he said, "Look, I'll." I'll put you up. I'll give you um. I'll give you a desk in our office, and you can work out of there. And okay, yeah, you know, okay. Oli, I always joke with Ollie. Ollie was meant to go west, and uh, he he didn't. So, uh, okay. but um, but look, it, it was you know that was the big the big focus then was to grow internationally, and right. and you know how we how we could do that, and, and what we would do around that. Right. And so when you were in Asia, um, were you going after the Asian betting uh, platforms or what was really your main customer you were going after? It, it, it was very much to kind of try and replicate the models that we would, had been working with in, you know, in the UK and that we we're going to take out around the world. So obviously looking, you know, looking at the, you know, the betting companies, acquiring content, acquiring a lot of content. So, you know, working with world sport group in terms of all of their their content and getting that you know driving digital you know digital revenues from from those from from their content that maybe they'd never seen and mm. i think that was one of the big things that in the we you know we very much prided ourselves on right from the start when we when we founded the company was that we wanted to be in partnerships with partners and say you know we weren't going to just come in and say well you know there's no money in this and you know and we'll give you a little bit of money and uh, and then and then just go and 
fleece it. It was trying to build partnerships with a lot of these agencies and and rights holders and and show you know and show them that you know we can create value from where they'd never had value before. So that was a that was a big part, and I think that was very much in our DNA that building partnerships with you know with whether it was a rights holder, whether it was a, an agency. Whoever it was, you know, that was very much how we how we wanted to work with them, and uh, and that's what we did, you know, and hopefully created for a lot for a lot of companies, you know, a significant revenue stream for for them that they'd never had before. Right. Yeah, and let's talk about talk about it for a sort of a couple of minutes here, um, it, because what I remember and going way back when when you guys first started, it was sort of you, you guys were everywhere, right? I mean, you build websites for for clubs. Um, maybe even leaks. Um, you obviously have the streaming side of it, uh, linked to the betting groups and so on. I mean, there was a host of different things, right? I mean, just how would you describe what was sort of the main business focus and, and where was the most of the money there? Well, it, I think the key was really if you start ingesting the content and you have the content, then that opened up a whole whole stream of potential revenue, you know, revenue streams. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, and that was one of the, one of the challenges, you know, there had been, there had been a number of pay-per-view companies that had, that had launched around the same time, 2005, 2006. But the problem they had was the sheer cost of ingesting, doing, you know, voiceover, etc. And then marketing to try and get these disparate audiences around the world hmm. to come and watch, it was very, very difficult for them to make that business model work. Right. But if, we, but what what we had was, if we're ingesting the content, then suddenly we can create, you know, multiple revenue streams. We can create. Obviously, there was the betting revenue, but you know that that was important. But it wasn't all of it. Mm-hmm. We could do pay per view. We, you know, we could do you know, or subscription services, which we did and we ran for a number of rights holders, as you say, clubs, et cetera. And, you know, and we built a strong, you know, strong businesses around that as well. And then, and and then obviously, you know, what we, what we did was, you know, one of the, the foundations for, for what we did, you know, in terms of launching DAZN was, I remember, you know, I think it was in 2006, we, we wrote a document called Inform Fans, which was which was really saying, you know, because we've ingested all of this content, we have all of these events, yeah. how can we utilize this and how can we create an environment that that can you know that can attract those audiences in on a subscription basis or a pay-per-view basis. So, you know, we it, it was really having the having the content and you know within our within our building enabled us to create, you know, whether it's direct consumer solutions for the clubs and partners, etc. So so that's, you know, that's really, it was creating multiple revenue streams from that, you know, from that original ingesting the content. Yeah, I like that. And, and it's, you know, and obviously the company became highly profitable. I mean, I remember reading some numbers and of course there was also a listing then, right? In 2011, I believe the company went public. Yeah. Um, I can't remember the valuation at that time. I, I just found something when you delisted, and afterwards it was at seven hundred million. When you went public, what was the valuation at that time? Actually, do you remember? 
the IPO was for 168 million. Okay. But it was, yeah, obviously that's that was shareholding that was sold. But um, yeah, look, it was. I think the listing was, you know, was a fascinating process. To, you know, to kind of go through as a company, you know, in preparing for it all, etc. But it was also, you know, the, the start of where else do we want to go? You know, wh- what's the future? You know, that's mm-hmm. that's why you go through that process because you're very much looking at what's what's our plan? What was our plan for growth? And at the time, we'd we had just bought Gold.com, mm-hmm. and uh, so previously. We'd, we'd bought that and I think you, you know, and we had a lot of plans in terms of the direct consumer side and growing that right. we'd, you know we'd you know and elements like obviously running ball and opta and some of these other products in terms of evolving you know our watch and bet service and um, you know we had our e-player service as well our syndicated video player we had the live sports service which was the precursor in a way to design so it was very much about how is this going to you know drive and supercharge these other businesses yeah yeah and again i mean you know i think we talked about last time you know you were really a b2b business at the beginning and then more and more uh, we're, I guess, f- moving into BTC and, and clearly the zone is, is that's what it is now, right? Even Gold TV, uh, Gold, sorry, Gold.com was already uh, uh, in that sort of space, right? And, and I'm sure that's not so easy, right? I mean, uh, B2B is a very different business than going to the consumer. I mean, what was the challenge there? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, in a B2B world, you know, you're delivering for a few people in an organization and, you know, and and therefore, you know, you know very quickly from them, you know, if there's a problem, but equally, you know, your relationship is with a, with a few people. When you're a consumer-facing business, you know, the market, this are, you know, the, the customer will, you know, will voice what they feel about what you're doing. And, and obviously, in a, in a, with the rise of, you know, social, you know very quickly, you know, A, if there's a problem and B, you know how they feel about it and mm. and so yes but it but you know I'd, I'd obviously been in consumer facing businesses previously and you know I'd worked in the B2B and the B2C and and so you know knew knew a lot of the challenges and you know when you work you know you see in organizations like you know having been at Sky you know what what you have to do and you know how you manage both you know from an acquisition point of view but equally you know the, the customer management and on, on you know what interests a customer you know what what is the what's the the key usp you know i remember you know one of the in going back to the sky days it was you know the epg electronic programming guide you know it was the remote control and the simplicity of it, but equally, you know, the the capabilities behind that, which which really differentiated Sky Digital to all the other platforms that were in the UK. And you know, you could see this and you learn this. And mm. so it's not always what you think will be the most important thing in a consumer world. You know, is what matters and what delivers you know the real differentiation for the customer. 
No, interesting. So then, obviously, the company was delisted, delisted in 2013. Yeah. Um, was that just, you know, that happens, obviously, companies, you know, take themselves back pub, uh, into a private environment to, you know, grow or do other things that think differently. What was the sort of reason and, and logic behind it uh, in your case? Yeah, I think it was exactly that, that we'd, we'd grown very, very quickly and and we'd integrated a lot of businesses within to, within perform and and had done it you know i think very very successfully but um but but equally uh, you know you you learn a lot through that process i think we had acquired a business because we'd done it so efficiently we previously i think the, you know the the big challenge for us was when we we bought a company in the us sporting news uh what had been a traditional publisher and you know we were well, in the partnership moving it to be a digital publisher and and ultimately you know we we'd always trusted ourselves to turn it around turn things around very quickly and you know start delivering the revenues and the profits and look it, it was a much bigger thing to to do than uh, and off the back of that you know we 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 missed you know our final quarter you know which gave a very negative sentiment mm. and often it's very hard to change that perception it didn't matter what we did you know and and, and the growth that we were achieving you know that some of those things happened so right. so you know and and equally at the same time we were looking at okay what's next what's the next opportunity and and you know, the next opportunity we felt was really about, you know, the OTT space. We could see what was happening. Obviously, Access had very strong connections, you know, both on the platform side with, with you know, Spotify and Deezer in the music industry, hmm. but equally, you know, obviously, um, Access only Warner Music. And, you know, we was, you could see what was happening in the entertainment space. We felt there was no one really a pure sports OTT service in the marketplace. And as we looked at it and we did more and more investigation, we just felt there was an opportunity there. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and, and again, I think that makes some sense when, when I'm just listening to it, uh, what you're saying here is that everyone knew then that the investment is going to be very heavy. And if you publicly listed, you, you go, so we're going to, going to get killed in the process um, if, if you can't sell the story, right? Um, and so I guess that probably was one of the reasons to say, hey, we are going to now go heavy in this. Um, and the market might not right away appreciate everything we're doing, I guess. So, uh, okay, I, I, I'm assuming that's sort of part of it now. Because shortly Absolutely. after, right, I think you mentioned last time, so around 2014 is when really – the first time the zone or whatever I guess the, the project was called at that time started to surface and you guys were going okay you know this is we can see what Netflix is doing and, and, and maybe a few others already existed at that time um, and we can do this too right we already ingesting the content we have the content with us now how do we bring it out to the consumer right I'm sure that was sort of the thought process there right yeah but but I think what we what we understood very very quickly you know, right from the start is that you're right that this is a significant investment not just into the rights into the platform you know I think there is this you know naivety often about OTT that it's you know that it's 
web streaming you know that it, oh you know yeah you were doing web streaming therefore it's really simple no the the systems and the, and what you have to build is is incredibly complex you know it goes back to you know you are you are delivering and managing a customer experience you know you have to build a lot more rigor into what you're doing and you have to you know the system you have to you know uh, have to build um so you know that that's why you know it was going to take time and we you know that was the investment we were incredibly fortunate in terms of you know having access who you know a trusted us in terms of what our plan was and be understood you know the, the length of time that it takes to do this and to do it properly and and i think that's you know that that's what you know where we had, we were really focused of saying you know we're not it's not just doing what we've done in the past this is you know this is a radical evolution into what we've got to do to be able to deliver to deliver this at the scale that we wanted to deliver it you know at and in yeah and, and you know again i mean so there is a point in time, I think it's 2016, 17 or whatever, you guys switched names, right? You sort of, you really start to call the whole group the zone. Um, and a lot of things have started to change, right? You, you sold parts off and there was a you know, clear, you know, it's almost like, you know, doubling down on that big, on that vision, right? Of where are going to go, we're going to be now, well, I don't know, what do you want to call it? The ESPN on OTT, right? Um, would that be the description or, or how would you describe it? Yeah, well, well, look. I think we we launched. We very much had two business units. You know, the there was the classic perform business. You know, the B two B business, and then we moved. You know, moved very much to zone. Um, was the B two C business, and you know, and we were organisationally structured in that way. Um, and. And then since then, obviously, as you say, Marcus, you know, we've evolved that in terms of we divested, you know, significant shareholding in Perform because ultimately we looked and said, you know, our focus has to be on growing design and, you know, Perform perform needs will need, you know, continual investment. You know, we've got to evolve. It was a very profitable business, but... It needs to find the right the right home, but you know we we still want to, you know we still want a stake in that business. We still want to be you know we're an important actually you know a very important partner for that business in terms of a lot of you know a lot of what we've built to zone on had been right. you know utilizing you know the the data etc that you know that we were producing within um, within perform and now within stats perform. So, you know, we recently divested, obviously, Gold.com, which, had, you know, which had, had been really important. It's grown our, you know, our knowledge and our experience in the advertising and sponsorship world. But, you know, but the zone is going to be, you know, different in what it needs. So, hmm. so that's how we've evolved out. But, you know, we've obviously, we still see huge value in those businesses. It's why we've kind of kept equity stakes in those businesses as well correct yeah so my understanding right so even though you sold a let's say a large chunk of the perform b2b part off uh, as you rightly said to it was merged with stats uh, and and the vista equity partners bought it um 
you still have a you know reasonable minority stake in that. Uh, what was the transaction value again? I don't know what I can't remember now. What was the public number out there? About a billion dollars or something on that ballpark? Was is that about correct? Uh, I think in, in terms of overall value of the business, yeah. Okay, but okay, yeah. No, look, and, and again, I, I think I, I I read somewhere. Um, I think it was Dentsu who invested three hundred million dollars. I think it was in two thousand nineteen. Uh, which gave, uh, I guess, at that time, still the whole group a valuation of three billion um, pounds, actually. So, I mean, we're again, we're talking huge numbers here, from you know, starting a little inform there in 2005 to <laughs> where you guys are now. Right? So, let's let's make sure that people fully appreciate that we're not talking just tens of millions here; we're talking hundreds and billions here now. Um, so, so huge, huge success story in a massively significant group here. Um, with all the challenges in between, right? And as I, you know, clearly, I think everyone could read and because there've been probably more public stuff about perform the, the profitability and, and how well that was doing. And but now, now we're in the zone. We're in the zone conversation here, and, and I want to really yeah. go a bit deeper. You know, obviously, I had my own experience uh, with what we would call what we call sports fix, which was a mini version, very very mini version of what you guys are doing. Um, you know, and, and, and we had massive learning there as well. So I, I want to compare a little notes here, you know, if, if possible. Um, cause one thing we realized when we, when we started similar, maybe what I've seen at least uh, read and, and, you know, public comments being made from, you know, yourself and colleagues there is that the hard part really is the monetization, right? Uh, streaming eventually it's getting easier and easier, right? Initially there was still that maybe a technology challenge, but you know, that kind of at least we i felt it was going becoming easier and easier tech it was getting better the the internet was getting faster you know the the mobile connectivity all that is there uh especially nowadays but getting people to pay for it because you're streaming it right it is really a different pay model than at least that's what i saw in our world here how did you guys because i think if i recall correctly you started off in germany and then japan i think was your next market right um is that yeah. correct so let, let's yeah, go a bit back how the early days and and how did you guys pick the markets and uh, you know and and sort of what worked there and before we go to where we are now one of our competitive advantages was we were working with most rights holders around the world you know within perform so we had very strong relationships yes. with a lot of those partners we created new revenue streams for them and and hopefully created a belief that you know we we delivered on what you know what we say we'd deliver. Um, we 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 looked we looked and we did a huge amount of research around the world of where did we feel there were opportunities. Mm. I think you know Germany Germany kind of stood out because the rights fees had been you know were particularly low compared to when you look at the market opportunity with you know the number of households number of connected households and you know as you know very well mark is you know the you know germany had kind of been positioned that it's not a pay tv marketplace yeah, well yeah, yeah. you know that and the, and it almost had that stigma around it but right. you know at the time the premier league rights i think we're going for three million prior to us coming in um you know, absolutely nothing at all. And, you know, some La Liga hadn't sold, mm. you know, as well. It had gone, you know, no broadcaster had actually picked it up. Right. And, you know, Japan, you know, had some similar, you know, there was a lot of similarities actually when we look between Japan and and um, and Germany. So, 
So uh, we looked holistically, we looked at all markets and those two markets, well, Germany, Austria, Switzerland and Japan really kind of stood out. So yeah. we launched we launched there in August 2016. Um, I think, you know, what, what was fascinating, you know, the kind of first you know, first weekend we we got. I think it was like 75,000, 80,000 signed up, you know, in Germany. Mm-hmm. You know, and we had Premier League. You know, that was the right. big thing we had. And yeah. I think we had Arsenal. Arsenal uh, played Liverpool first weekend of the season. And, nice. uh, and yeah, and so, you know, we were off off to the races. And and then similarly, at the end of the month, we, we launched in Japan where we had a very strong football proposition, European football proposition, and, you know, a, a kind of broad, a broad multi-sports offering. So, and, and we, which we had in both of, you know, you know, in both we were kind of markets, we would say, you know, we were working with the NBA in both markets, okay. NFL in NFL in, in uh, both markets. So, right. so, so, you know, we were, we'd been lucky, you know, a, a lot of our, a lot of partners who, you know, really followed us. You know, they, they generally followed us. You know, La Liga. We had La Liga in um, in Germany as well, and mm. so that that was, you know, that it was it was important that you know that we had that support from those partners. And then, but obviously, you know, things you have to do. The difference is. When you go, you know, your it's your whole marketing, you know, strategy and what you're doing, how you drive drive people through. You know, you're you're working with a lot of platforms. So we were working with all the TV manufacturers, going to Apple and Google, trying to get them to agree, you know, to to put us, you know, not just within the App Store, but were we going to do Apple Apple and Google Play billing? You know, these. These were these were the, suddenly a lot of the you know the, the, the technical integration. Still. Yeah, yeah. I mean the API yeah, integration with 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 all those platform guys. You know whether it's online, of course, you know, in Google Store and uh, you know in iOS platforms. You know, and I think that was always your thing, right? You guys are really believe that we need to be on all those platforms, right? From smart TVs to, of course, you know, web streaming and everything in between. Um, and that's that's not an easy model, right? I mean, there's a lot of work involved on the backend side of it um, to get to get these things up and running, right? Is is that still? I mean, now I think you are, right? Pretty much from consoles, right? I mean, you can go to your Xbox and PlayStation and watch you to, yeah. uh, of course, on your phone. Um, you know, how hard was that at the beginning? It's it, it is hard. It's 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 very hard. You know, we we're on. When we did our global launch, you know, I kind of said we're on ninety-six percent of the of the world's devices. Mm. You know, so so immediately, you know, you're every in every home, every you know, every, virtually every household in Germany and Japan immediately could access our service. Right. They can access on their mobile phone. They can access on their console, their TV. And they can obviously access on the web, etc. They can go direct to DAZN, or they can go through the various stores as well. All of that was really, really important because, you know, our proposition—you know, what you want, when you when you want, how you want—you know, was it was, it's very, very, it was very important that you know you live up to those principles. And 
and we're constantly evolving. You know, we 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 want to be. It's why we've you'll have seen a lot of the announcements. You know, in in Germany, we're now on Deutsche Telekom. We're on Sky. We're on the Sky Q box and the Sky X box in Germany. We're on, right. we're you know, we're on um, Vodafone's you know services. Mm. So it was it's to give that accessibility, make it as easy for the customer. If you know to find a zone, and then when they find a zone, that it's as easy to actually to sign up. So that's something we're constantly looking to improve. How do you make it as simple as possible? So working with all the payment gateways, etc. And this, you know, this is, you know, this is so important for every, you know, for the industry to understand that it, you know that's what we're doing that's you know that's the investment it's not just the investment in the rights it's the investment in the accessibility for the customer which is i honestly believe our great differentiation we're doing it at a scale that no one else is doing in our you know in our industry and 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 it's why this understanding of you know when people say ott it it's much it is much harder to do this properly, right. you know, and and to do it, and to, you know, and to deliver it, you know, with the scale of users that we've got now, because, you know, a, a few weeks ago, you know, we did our biggest ever event in in Germany, where we had, you know, by, uh, Bruce and Munchen Gladbach paying Bayern Munich. It was it was an enormous in in terms of the unique streams that we had, mm-hmm. and the number of people then who were watching that that service you know uh, watching the design service you know across the markets there can you, know, you share a number i mean just to give a scale and size of it well it see one of the hardest one of the hardest parts when you're ever doing this in terms of the the exact we we count it in streams but in certain typical tv you normally, when you know whether it's Barb or Nielsen or Agoff, you know in Germany, you know what they're doing. They're, those panel-based, you know, would then give a multiplier. Mm. But you know, we know, you know, sixty-five to seventy percent of our views are generally on in the TV, mm-hmm. and therefore, you know, normally that is a you know circa two to two point three viewers. Right. But we, but we did. Um, I don't know, you know. I don't know the exact number off off to hand, but it was you know it was well over a million individual streams. Right. Well, that's, that's I think it was you know right. absolutely you know and, and well we announced obviously even this time last year in in January last year we announced the the number of events that we'd done that had delivered over a million streams themselves. So, mm. so it's, you know, we're, we're delivering, we're delivering big audiences at, you know, at significant scale. Now here's a couple of questions. Um, one is sure. again, and it may be different from market to market, but if you maybe have a general answer is what is your, um, the, the, the platform which most people connect with the zone it, you, in Germany you mentioned it's still maybe TV but in Japan maybe the phone because it's so much more uh, penetrated there in different ways um, or what it is in general you know is there a sort of a number globally which you know is it half half between let's call it the true online mobile devices versus you know more fixed fixed devices T- TVs TV. um in actually watching through a TV wow. is is the big is the 
is the the largest. Now, it doesn't mean that everyone signs up through a TV, you know, and I think that's the the, the simplicity of access that we provide. That mm. you know, so you, maybe you you sign up on the web or on the mobile, but actually t- it's getting easier and easier now to sign up through the TV as well. Right. But but look, every, you know, the way I look at it, every every partner plays their role in our ecosystem in different ways but you know they're all incredibly important in what they're delivering but yeah most the, the majority of viewing is on tv mm. but then equally you know we do see you know web some people still on the web you know a lot of people um on mobile as well right. yeah which is what i thought you would say i have to admit i'm surprised that the the tv let's call it the traditional way of watching something is still Uh, is what drives it, what you guys are doing. And that's sort of what I said earlier, right? Uh, replacing the B-Sky Bs of the world or Sky, the Sky Germanys of the world. Uh, and that's really what you guys are doing then, right? Because you are, that is a direct competition then with them, right? Because that's their space, right? Um, and that's that's unique. I mean, that, that's, uh, I didn't realize that that is, uh, that's where it, in, I guess, in these particular markets uh, where it's heading. Uh, it's very interesting. But I think the interconnectivity between devices is really important as well. That I I cast from my phone a lot of the time. So right. that there may be a situation where I'm I'm watching on my you know on my phone and I go into one room and then I'll just press the button and immediately yeah, casting that onto screen. my TV. Mm. And you know, so it's I, I think giving the user the choice is is the key. Giving the customer the choice of how they want to access it, and Absolutely. and let let them decide. And 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 equally, you know, when you want to watch it, that you know, we're all we all have busy lives. But I think the beauty and the real interactivity of the that you can you know that you can deliver through the OTT platform is what what excites me as well because you know there are times when you can't be there you know 10 minutes before the game to sit down you know you you're coming in 15 minutes into a game or you're you know or you actually you may have missed the first half of you know you know you you know what's happening in the basketball you know do you have that ability to navigate through you know if you want to watch it from the start you can watch it from the start if you want to go to the end I think well, I, it kind of goes I, I remember when we had the red button 21 years ago and we were you know saying you know this is interactive TV what you know the, the capabilities you can deliver and especially as obviously broadband you know connectivity fiber 5g etc all of those technologies enable it things you know so that speed and that accessibility to so many more services you can deliver in in and around the experience yeah. as well no I totally agree and, and, I mean, and that was exactly the reason why when we started sports fix was i had that same belief right i mean we were an agency trading rights and, and i was sort of getting a bit bored of that um and the idea of delivering content directly but not just delivering in a in a, in a sort of traditional way but uh, you know by 
launching a channel or whatever, um, but really being that interactive. And, and I remember, you know, all the parts of the pieces we had in our roadmap. Um, I mean, it, it's a true different experience. There is no doubt. And, and that is always what I still told today, believe OTT is the most exciting part uh, for any t sports fan out there. Um, but here's the part where, again, uh, one of the lessons I've learned when, when from Sports Fix is that because I was also so focused on the technology side, right? I was like, okay, we're changing the viewer experience in such a way that, you know, they, they will just never going to go back to watching it in a traditional sense, right? Uh, and yes and no, that, that really wasn't necessarily the case. But the other part, of course, we, there is no difference to traditional TV that you still in a similar model, right? You're still buying rights um, and have to monetize it later, right? So there is still that sort of old, the old model, whether you were a pay TV operator or a traditional, you know, even free-to-air operator, right? Um, it's always that arbitrage game, right? Okay, I'll buy it for X dollars because I believe I can monetize it for X dollars more. And that's the part which I never saw as much when we were in it. Um, that, you know what, as much as technology is so much better and, and so many more things we can do, the that the old principle of the business model is still the same, which somewhat, you know, is what hurt us at the end of the day. We just, you know, couldn't keep buying rights and just keep, you know, throwing the money at it, hoping that eventually we we find the buyers, right? And I'm certain that that's obviously part of what you guys are going through, probably on a much, much bigger scale. What's your experience there? I mean, how did you, you know, pick whatever market you like, whether it's Japan or, or the German-speaking markets or others, We you really felt cracking the, the pay model, right, the right mixture of maybe ad-driven versus, you know, the pay side of it, you know, what, what I call the Spotify model, right, the, the freemium services and all this stuff. Where do you feel currently is your sweet spot there, you know, in a country or region where you think you feel you really cracked it? I think what, what excites me is that you're right, you know, the relying just on subscription revenue is always going to be difficult. You know, you're competing you know, you're competing against other parties who have created multiple revenue streams. Yeah. And so that, you know, that what was very important for us is so, you know, how are we going to develop our advertising and sponsorship? Sport naturally, you know, we initially launched and said we won't have advertising. And then what we realized very quickly is, well, sport has been built around advertising, you know. The, yep. So, you know, while it makes sense in Netflix in the, you know, it, People get frustrated by ad, can be frustrated, and that's a point of difference. In sport, you have natural breaks, yep. so you have to fill those breaks. And you know, advertising and sponsorship plays a role in within you know that sports ecosystem. So, um, you know, building, but you know, it goes back to that word of evolution. You know, how do we how do we create and evolve the advertising and sponsorship space to take advantage? of everything that we get uh, and the capabilities that OTT delivers. Hmm. Commercial premises, you know, I is is an area that we've got some exciting, you know, ideas and that we're going to look at and deliver. But equally, you know, looking at the whole ancillary revenue, you know, what other ways, means and mechanisms can we improve the customer experience? And bring the rest of the sports ecosystem into and onto our platform to enhance their experience. So, you know, that those are those are a lot of the areas that we're, you know, busy working on and, and looking to deliver 
you know, this year and, and into the future. So you, you, I, you guys already doing anything connecting with the betting world? Let's say it's Germany, where it obviously is allowed. Um, you can, have you, can you already bet within the DAZN platform there? Or? No, not currently, but um, not currently. But obviously, we, you know, advertising and sponsorship has been a, you know, it's a. Yeah. Uh, a big area but, but but yeah look i think we're obviously looking at that as an area you know mm -hmm. for us to to evolve and and i think you know watch this space i'm sure you'll you know you'll see some things you know in the very near future yeah, yeah. no look i mean i think as much as the company has been let's say four years now into this right attorney uh you still had a very early days uh, i remember reading before that i think b sky b it took them 10 years before it went before it ever got profitable right and now everyone knows it's it's a very successful and very profitable business uh, which may be seen as peak um, partially because of uh, groups like yourself, but uh, you know it took them ten years to get there. So it is really it's a long term game, um, and it takes you know a lot of money to get there. And, and I'm hope you know hope fingers crossed you guys you know have that firepower um, to sustain that. And uh, but, but before we sort of slowly getting to the finish line here, is love to just touch on a couple more things. One is um, the boxing side, right? So clearly you guys have gone really deep into boxing. You know, big agreement there with Eddie Hearn. Um, in Matchroom, uh, with a billion dollars at least, what was reported. You know, you had something with Canelo, which sort of you know went a bit sideways, maybe. Um, and you have this global offering, right? One dollar ninety nine a month for boxing. I, I went to the platform earlier here from Thailand, and, and that was the only thing I could see. It was only boxing, so which probably means the rest of it is well gardened into the territory. So, um, so currently. Besides the big markets we already touched on, what's the sort of main offering? Um, so globally, it's obviously boxing from what I could see. But, you know, what other sort of main rights do you have maybe for the U.S. or, or other parts of the world? So you're right, uh, Marcus, in terms of our global launch and and within the U.S., you know, boxing has been, a, you know, the fulcrum of our proposition there. Right. And, and I think, you know, we're... You know, we, we had looked, you know, and evolved in, for example, in the U.S. in other sports. And then, you know, at the moment, we're, we're very focused on that and, and really delivering a great customer experience. We've actually, you know, we, we have, and that then has translated in our global offering of taking, taking boxing around the world. And look, we've been delighted with, with the launch of our global service and the global platform. In terms of, we you know we far exceeded in terms of the subscribers that kind of came through and came onto the platform. Mm, excellent. What they felt of the experience that we delivered, and you know, which you again you can see, you can see in app store ratings, you can see how people felt, and the you know the 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 one ninety nine was was very much. A kind of test and learn an introductory price into proposition mm. but we're going to we're going to evolve our global you know it, it it's fantastic to have that global platform and the scale that that delivers and and you know the audiences that we've been delivering through and you'll see now how we evolve that of you know over time in terms of hopefully you know both going deeper and stronger into certain markets but equally broadening the you know the proposition we have for the global platform uh, over the next few months and years. Mm. So you know we've we've you know we've got the ambition you know to do that. I think we're 
we're um, we are multi-sport. So while we're focused on a singular sport at this moment in time, our, our aim is to be multi-sport um, as a proposition, and uh, and that's what we want to do. And you know, and I'm I feel you know for our community, the sports community, you know, that we're a great opportunity for them to really get on a state-of-the-art platform and and deliver incremental revenue you know and revenues that maybe you know they're not earning now and and you know the our scale delivers a lot of a lot it's it's our big differentiation because our scale means that we can we can we can you know hopefully get better rates and you know in terms of the payaways that we do with various platforms etc which which ultimately increases increases the parts of you know that that can be um, distributed you know across the ecosystem so that's you know that's how I see the evolution for us with having this platform in place and. Yeah. And any, anything, and any development we do in one market or you know for one market, ultimately benefits the whole, benefits every market because that's what you know that that's what um, is the beauty of owning this platform. No, no, I'm sure. I'm sure the learning curve is is huge uh, because you're learning every time you do something in one market, and if it works there, you can obviously cut that across others. And you know, and, and you know, even over the last four years, you guys done a lot already, right? Uh, some worked, some didn't. I think here in Asia, you you owned the Champions League rights for a while, and but it, you never really got to the launch of it. And you know, so clearly there there are sort of you know things along the way here where uh, it, it's been some uh, you know tough lessons probably and, and some you know success stories. Uh, I'm sure to and really seeing how people pick it up and, and run with it. And, and I think the a la carte model, which is really what OTT in my mind is, right? It's that's really what, again the differentiator to the traditional pay world, which is always a big block, right? Here's two hundred channels and you know, pay me a hundred dollars for it. I think that to me is is what works and the more that can be defined where people can buy one match if that's all they want to see or if that's all they can afford versus uh, the whole thing. The NBA is going there as well. Right here in Asia, they're offering that uh, truly as sort of a one match only for a dollar, I think. Um, I think that's the opportunity, right? And that's traditional TV is it's impossible for them to figure that out. It has to be in this sort of uh, model which you guys are building there. So uh, I have no doubt you guys are on the wrong track and, uh, and I'm looking forward to keep watching what you're going to be bringing into the market. Is there anything sort of uh, coming up, um, any sort of big rides or, or, or a new territory? I mean, the U.S. obviously is a big important market also with betting, you know, starting to take off uh, there. I'm sure you guys have a, have a good eye on that. Uh, anything you can share? Uh, watch this space. You know, look, <laughs> there's, look, there's lots going on, as you say, and um, and and it's look, it's been a very tough year for everyone in terms of we've gone through you know the strangest times of, of you know of my 50 years, yeah. and 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 it's you know the, those challenges. But coming, you know, coming off those challenges, you know, we we feel very optimistic in terms of what we're doing and and the you know the, the evolution of of the design service, both what we're doing in the markets we're in and and you know hopefully new markets and as we go global. But um, but this is going to be a big year for us, you know, with 
we've just you know recently done the f1 deal in spain which is okay. you know which is great we've we've obviously got the um much more enhanced Bundesliga package in Germany and the Champions League being, you know, the the real home of Champions League in Germany as well now. Right. So it's it, there's lots of exciting elements for us. And look, you know, we're, we we have that ambition. You know, we we want we want to grow the partnerships we have with all of the partners we have around the world, and and you know, constantly keep delivering and. You know, you can you can see with with you know we've got you know our new co CEO Shai coming into the business. James, you know the great job James has been doing as well. You know, and the team and the whole exec team. So you know, we're very proud of of where we are today. But you know, but it doesn't stop. We want to we want to keep growing. We want to keep developing and. There's lots of opportunities out there. There really are. Yeah, and I have no doubt. As usual, I think there's probably two more to do than than you anyone has time for it. And so it's being focused and and really <laughs> you know zeroing in on the right ones. I think is the key, right? Um, because I have no doubt in the current climate that rights holders will be calling you guys up and saying, "Hey, you know, our current partners are not paying, or not paying enough, or or other things." So that you know, all of a sudden, the zone is is going to be on everyone's radar in some fashion of. Uh, as you said, whether it is as the main delivery service or as a you know supplementary service, uh, I have no doubt um, that you guys will be looking at all that, right? And and that will probably change. Hopefully, this current market climate might give you a chance to, I guess, change that that arbitrage model a little bit as well, right? Where it is a little more of a partnership, right? And and sort of, I, I remember reading a bit about your announcement in Japan where you felt you're already getting closer to that, right? Where it isn't just you writing a check yeah. and see you later, but, uh, you know, you're really working in, in a true partnership sense. And that's not easy. I mean, that's the ultimate trick. Um, I have no doubt as a rights trader myself, um, trying to figure that out is, is, uh, is, the, is the golden goose here, right? Yeah, I, I, I think what always what always helps is if you have case studies of showing that it has worked and that it has worked for partners and we're growing the market, we're, you know, we're growing audiences, we're growing and ultimately trying to grow revenues. And, and I think it, you know, that's, you know, that's the challenge for us all. You know, we know, we know rights holders, you know, want to grow and they want, you know, and, and it's, you know, it's been an incredibly tough time for all of them as well. So look, the, you know, We're, as we've talked through this, you know, the, you know, the last 15 years, you know, when we started Inform, it came, it, it was at a low, you know, digital rights had no value. You know, there were, you know, you're coming off the, there was, and there was a lot of new companies evolved at that time. Right. You know, and it was, and it was a real entrepreneurial time for the, for the business, for the sports, you know, sports marketplace as a whole. And I think, You know, come, you know, I'm sure coming off, you know, off COVID and the situation, it will create a lot of that entrepreneurialism again, and and opportunities will come, and and we want to take advantage of those. But but equally, you know, it's going to be fascinating to see how you know, the sports industry evolves because it has to. You know, we have to evolve. You know, that's that's human nature, isn't it? 
Yeah, totally. You know, and I think that the, what I see is, you know, has to happen in some sense is that the rights owner, whoever owns the IP, right, or, or manages the IP, just has to accept the fact that they maybe have to take some more risk or, or share some of the risk, right? And therefore, of course, then share the upside too versus then just offloading the rights and just, you know, hoping to God, right? I mean, look at what happened with, with Media Pro and, and the French Football League. That's a perfect example. You know, they wrote a theoretically very large check there, but, you know, couldn't quite you know, either sustain that or, or whatever the story is there, um, it's very easy to see, right? It's, you know, you, you, you're writing these large checks and there's a point in time when you get your numbers wrong, um, you're going to pull the plug and the league sits there right now and, and, and has very little room to, to wiggle. Um, and I think that's where, where these, I think, rights holders anywhere in the world need to be need to wake up. I think the, the golden days of a big pay TV operator in, somewhere in the world writing a large check and just handing over the money and you know it's up to them then to figure out how they make their money back in my mind is over um you know and i think yeah. the zone and others are hopefully part of that um to teach everyone how to create the right risk and reward structures um in a more you know cooperative manner so maybe we'll leave and, it at that <laughs> yeah and, 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 and look you know we have to we have to tackle elements like piracy you know which is Absolutely. a huge problem of us you know and we've got to not one party can do that. We have to do it together. Yes. And so, so I agree. You know, the the challenges the challenges are universal, but the opportunity is there across all markets as well. Absolutely. If and I, and I agree with you. You know, you've got to look at it in a partnership model. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know exactly. And, and piracy—that's a whole podcast on its own. Uh, you know, <laughs> the challenge is similar. That is partly what killed us here as well. I mean, it was just we couldn't control the pirates. It was just insane, you know. And people will find it. And so you, it's just like playing whack-a-mole. Mole, right? You just whack, 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 and just pop up again somewhere else. So uh, it's a huge challenge, and I have no doubt that you guys are probably facing that in some fashion too. But uh, as I said, we'll leave that for another day. Uh, we've had a good hour and a half here now, roughly. Um, of, of not just an interesting story on your background here and, and how you got into it, but really, as you said, the last 15 years of how Inform started and turned into Perform and now into DAZN. And, uh, you know, like I said, it's still an evolving story. So hopefully we'll have another chance here, you know, maybe once COVID is a bit back to normal to, to review and revisit once, uh, you know, some of the big news stories coming out of what the zone is up to now. So in the meantime, I'll watch a bit of you know, boxing here on your platform uh, and uh, and wish you all the best there in, in London, uh, John. It's really good catching up here. Thanks, Marcus. Thanks so much for your time. Yeah, I no, enjoyed uh, it. Really enjoyed it. Cool. The Sports Entrepreneurs by Marcus Luer Podcasts are a collection of interviews and stories. All content in this podcast is the copyright of Marcus Luer. Reproduction and distribution of the presentation without written permission of the owner is prohibited. All rights reserved.